0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal to help you lead like never before in your church or in your business.
1: And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to the final bonus episode for this anniversary week of the podcast. Hey, my name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Uh, Once again, thank you so much for making these first two years of the podcast amazing. Uh, Pushing 1.5 million downloads now this week. It's crazy, man. You guys have been amazing. But the best part is I I have just enjoyed this so much and being able to get to know you and to hopefully help as much as I can help you lead like never before and to bring you every single Tuesday, the best leadership conversations I can find. I know I've grown as a leader in the midst of all this, man, we have an incredible fall lined up for you with some exceptional guests. You're going to hear from probably the king of all executive pastors tomorrow on the podcast when we get back to regularly scheduled programming. Dan Ryland is my guest. Kara Powell has a sensational new book. I mean, I am so excited about her and the Fuller Youth Institute, their new book called Growing Young. She's going to talk about how average churches are actually reaching millennials. I'm talking with Ben Snyder, who at 35 takes over a church of 8,000. He's coming up. Tony Morgan, Chuck Swindoll, Uh, which is great. Todd Wilson from Exponential. Les McEwen. Oh, my goodness. What an interview with him. I did a little while ago and on fire. We've got uh, so much more. William Vanderblumen is coming up. Dave Adamson. You know him as Ozzy Dave. We've got Sean C. telling a powerful story about his near burnout in ministry and how he got his marriage and his family back. And wow, a lot going on. So, hey, these are the kinds of conversations... I love bringing you. And if you look at last week's show notes, so if you go back to carrienewhoff.com slash episode 104, I've also included the top 10 podcasts of all time in the show notes. So it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for making this journey so great. So we're going to continue. We're going to answer more of your questions. We, believe it or not, cannot get to all of them because there's so many. There are We've answered dozens, but there are dozens left. So this is what this tells me. I need to do a bonus episode or two before Christmas. So again, if you subscribe, you'll get that all automatically delivered to you. So if you haven't done that, would you do that right now? Just hit the big old subscribe button, and then you don't miss a thing. But right now, we're going to get into your questions. So today, we'll start with a question about what happens when your church grows.
0: Hi, Carrie. This question has to do primarily with the transition from smaller church to a larger organization. And the question is in reference to some of your recent podcasts, where we talked about time management and effectiveness as far as the senior leaders or the, the lead pastors. how They don't necessarily leave the office uh, for lunches. They have maybe meals catered, or maybe they, they, they don't walk to coffee anymore, and they just don't seem to, to focus primarily on, on connecting with everyone in the church, which makes sense, uh, as you need to be more efficient with time management. So the question is two-part. first question would be, how many entry-level staff still focus primarily on connecting with individuals and building those relationships and taking time to schedule meetings, to have coffees, lunch, and so forth? Uh, second part of that question would be, is it something that is volunteer-driven? So as you, you switch to a larger organization, uh, does all the staff make that transition, or does it start in tiers and work down? So does it start with the, the senior leader making that transition, but then the, the, the staff uh, underneath the senior leader continue in that smaller church mindset and as the church continues to grow does each level down from the senior leader then transition into that uh, less focus on personal relationships and more focused on on organizational management thanks Gary.
1: Love this question. Thank you so much for asking it. So I think there's really a couple of different transitions that happen. And I know this stuff because I had to live through it. I mean, when you've got six people, 14 people, and 23 people on average attending your church, which was the three churches I started with, I would share every Sunday morning with those three churches and you grow to the church we are today, over a 1,000 in attendance, 2,500 people who call our church home, you've got to go through some transitions. And I would say the biggest transitions are simply this. You go from ministering to people, to leading people, to leading leaders. That's it. It's from ministering to people, to leading people, to leading leaders. And all three are huge jumps, and they require you to grow. So when you have six people attending your church— you're really, you're dealing with leaders. There's a couple of elders or whatever, but, but you're really ministering to people. I mean, I used to do home visits and I used to you know, visit people in the nursing home and in the hospital and go to their weddings and parties and everything. And you can do that when you have six people. That's really easy, but you're really ministering to people. In fact, in the vast majority of churches, the pastor or the staff people are doing the ministry. Now, that's a problem for two reasons. Number one, you're taking the ministry away from people to whom it belongs. If you read Ephesians 4, it's our job as pastors to equip God's people for works of service. Like they are the ministers, we just try to help. And so it's a mistake if you keep doing that and it's like, well, you don't need to do anything. I'll do it all. I'll do all the visiting. I'll do all the Bible study leading. I'll do everything. And the problem when your church is under 200 is the pastor almost gets forced into that role where the pastor is doing everything, not just all the ministry, but like everything. And I was there. I mean, our church started to grow and I was doing the photocopying and I was doing the message preparation, the agenda preparation for meetings. I was leading the Bible study. I was doing the pastoral care. And I mean, number one, that was taking ministry away from people. But number two, it doesn't scale. I mean, you burn out or you die or they fire you because you get so bad at it. Those are, those are really the options. You die, you burn out or they fire you or you stay stuck at 150 to 200 people which is what most churches do and you're just on this treadmill you can't get off of and you wonder why your church doesn't grow it's because you have to have your hands on everything and the congregation expects you to have your hands on everything and your church just isn't going to grow so that's what happens when you minister to people So then you got to switch from ministering to people. And this is the jump you have to make to break the 200 barrier to leading people, all right? And there's a difference. It means you're not doing the ministry, you're leading the people who are doing the ministry. So all of a sudden you're leading people. So I had to tell people, I'm not going to do the pastoral care. You guys are going to have to minister to each other. And I'm going to, you know, I didn't know how to do it at first, but you know, I'll do the big cases. Well, then the big cases are like every day. And then basically at this point, I minister to the people who are on my inner circle, which is the elders and some of the staff. And that's about it. That's about it. So, you know, Because the ministry has to happen among the people, both biblically and practically. It's funny how practical the Bible is sometimes. But anyway, so I had to learn to lead people, and I had to get out of that ministering to people. And then once you hit four to 600, you'll never sustainably go past 1,000 unless you make the next switch, is that you've got to lead leaders. And that is that the people in your inner circle are all leaders, that they're people who are leading other leaders. So your staff go from leading people, because eventually, you know, if you're the senior leader... You hire staff and then you have to uh, lead your staff. But beyond that, your staff then have to stop doing the ministry, which you used to do, because that doesn't scale either. And they need to have leaders, usually volunteer leaders. And then when your church gets a lot bigger, they're leading staff who are leading leaders. Um, so that's a transition that has to happen is, is you're now, you've now got volunteers in place and staff in place who are leaders themselves, and they in turn are leading the volunteers. So the volunteers are two or three layers away from you. Why? Because that scales. Now, if you think this is unbiblical, read Exodus chapter 18. If you think that this is unchristian, read Acts chapter 6. You'll see that the nation of Israel under Moses had this problem, And they solved it exactly the way I'm recommending it. You read Acts chapter 6. The early church had this problem, and they said, Apostles, you shouldn't be doing this. And so they got people to lead people, other people to lead people, and then eventually, you know, Paul led leaders. And so that's exactly what happened in the early church. If you think Jesus wouldn't approve, study his model of ministry. He led leaders. He ministered to people a little bit by preaching. Um, But then he led people and eventually he called 12 of them and he said, you're going to be the leaders and they changed the world by his power. So this is extremely biblical, but those are the changes you have to go through. I did a podcast with church leaders. If you click around on their website, it's called uh, How to Break the 200 Barrier. I share all my other tricks on that podcast. It's the churchleaders.com podcast. So you can subscribe to that. It's a great one to listen to. It's also on their website as well. If you want to go to churchleaders.com, search around a bit, you'll find it. I think it's one of their top five listen to podcasts of all time, Uh, but a great podcast, and I share a lot more about it on that. But thanks for asking that question. That's a real passion point of mine. I want to see churches that want to grow, grow, and I don't want artificial barriers to be in the way. Okay, now we got a question from Chase Arrington. Hi, my name is Chase
2: Arrington. How do you go about finding people to mentor and work with um, who, and finding the pride element uh, from them as well as for, for yourself how do you how do you deal with uh, I guess the idea that people uh, insulate yourself from other people's pride as well as your own because sometimes as a leader I think that um, you know I know my pride gets in the way but um, I think it's also a matter of understanding my pride but then also understanding you know uh, and insulating other people from pride sometimes I, I tend to give too much too fast to somebody and, and that can puff them up too quickly, telling them that they're ready when they're actually not quite ready. So it's like almost like I, I build up their pride before they're actually humbled enough to receive insight and instruction that really will help them be better at their job. So I guess my question is how, how do you go about creating a good environment where everyone can be humble?
1: Oh, pride, Chase. Yeah, that's a big one. You know, we all struggle with it, don't we? And 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 I, I I definitely struggle with it, and I think there are very few people who don't struggle with pride. And we think of pride as like you know the arrogant guy who's strutting around or thinks the universe revolves around him. My guess is that that isn't most of our listeners' problems. I mean, hey, if you're that guy strutting around thinking you're God's gift to humanity, oh my goodness, go go get some help. But you know where a lot of pride comes from? It comes from insecurity. And, and I think that was the root. Re- I mean, sometimes I think I'm God's gift to humanity. And then my wife goes, what? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. So, you know, that bubble gets burst pretty quickly. Um, but m- most of what I've struggled with in pride, I think, comes out of insecurity. Because pride is really about ego. And ego is really about self. It's not like, I think I'm great. It's like, no, me, 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 me. And insecure leaders tend to be proud leaders. So does your pride get in the way? Absolutely. So what I would say has been very effective for me is I've had to learn how to get out of my insecurity. I've just had to learn how to wrestle that down on my knees before God uh, with some good friends in counseling and just try to get into that place where you've got a quiet, confident humility. I think that's the best place you could go. And some people would be like, well, isn't that just pride? No, 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 no. It's a quiet, confident humility. You know, look at Jesus. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was, but he didn't lord it over people. That's why in John chapter 13, one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, Jesus, knowing who he was, where he'd come from, and where it was going, got down on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Because he knew. He's like, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly where I'm going and that gives me the ability to serve you. See, an insecure person would be like, I'm going to die tomorrow, you know, or what if you guys are more popular than I am, or what, you know, that's what insecurity does. A confident, confident humility says, no, I know who I am, I know what I'm good at, I know what I'm bad at, and it's not about me. One of the best definitions of humility, I've found, is C.S. Lewis's, who says, (laughs) humility isn't thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less often and i think that's right like god actually gave you some gifts chase he gave you some gifts and you're good at stuff and all of you who are listening right now as leaders i mean you're good at stuff and that's a gift from god but it is a gift and it's to be used in the service of god in the service of others so what are some things that will help you overcome your insecurity um, how about pushing other people into the spotlight? How about letting them be the hero? You know, even, even doing this podcast a couple of years ago, that was a big step for me because I had a number of people saying, hey, why don't you just, you know, take your blogs and teach? And I, I could do that. I mean, I do these odd ass carries from time to time and all that. But I thought, no, nah, you know what? I'm just going to make other people the hero. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my guests the hero. And then I had to check in my own spirit because, you know, all of us want some kind of acknowledgement or whatever. And that that never really goes away. It's just a tension you have to manage. You know, but in the first few episodes, and I still catch myself from time to time, uh, my wife said, you talk too much. You got to let your guest have airtime. So now I discipline myself to try to make sure that the guest gets 90% of the airtime when I'm interviewing them. Because otherwise, right, my insecurity is I want to say, oh, I knew that. Or let me tell you how I did that. Or yes, I thought of that first. No, No, it's nothing new under the sun. I didn't think of that first. And so when you push other people in the spotlight, when you allow other people to communicate, when you allow other people to lead, when you as a leader get really comfortable with taking all the blame, because I'm the leader, I'm responsible. If this didn't go well, I'll take it. But but giving the credit, sharing the credit, I mean, that, that just really helps keep your pride in check. And then I think long term, you just stay on your knees. So you know, a good environment where everyone can be humble. Honestly, Chase, I think it starts with you. And the way you approach pride and security is the way your team will eventually, ultimately give it a year or two. And so I, I, I just think, you know, and this has been a 20-year journey for me, just chasing all this stuff down. But hopefully those are some shortcuts that can help you. But I would start on your knees. I would, I would not think less of yourself. I would try to get to that place of quiet confidence and I would think of yourself less often and think about, okay, God, if I'm good at this, how can I use it to benefit others? How can I push other people in the spotlight? How can I let you be known through what I'm good at and, and push it that way? So that, that's, that's what I would do. All right, we're gonna move to the next question.
0: Carrie, what would you say are the top five or 10 hindrances in leadership today? I'm thinking about those obstacles that really hinder the church that a senior pastor like myself always has to overcome, period. Like like one of those would be mixing up the method with the mission. Another might be church polity. I believe you had some kind of uh, blog on this before. Thanks.
1: Well, that's a big question. (laughs) Top five or 10 hindrances in leadership today. I'll tell you one, I'll, I'll give you a few, but I'll tell you one that's pretty close to my mind right now, and that is time management. I talk to a lot of leaders who just don't know how to manage their time. They really, really struggle with it. And I know that has been a big struggle for me Um, So what I'm doing, if you're on Orange Tour this fall, you'll get your hands on it first, but I'm releasing a 10-part course at the end of this year to all of you who maybe can't get to an Orange Tour stop called The High Impact Leader. And it's all about how to get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. So I've taken sort of a decade of time management, energy management, and priority management tips and condense them together in a course that you can take. So a couple of things that I've learned that have helped me with time management. Number one, years ago, I stopped saying, I don't have the time. I hear leaders say that all the time. Man, I'd love to. I just don't have the time for that. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You have the same amount of time as anybody else on the planet. I have the same amount of time. If, if, you know, you were to become the president of a major corporation, or you were to become the the president of a seminary, or you were to take over a mega church tomorrow, it's not like they hand you 10 extra hours a week. They don't. They don't even give you an extra minute a day. If you're the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada, you you get no extra time. That's it. You get 24 hours a day. And so this idea that I don't have the time for it, well, wait a minute. Steve Jobs didn't have any more time than you did. You know, Thomas Edison didn't have any more time than you did. Florence Nightingale didn't have any more time than you did, and neither did Mother Teresa. They just used it differently. So a few years ago, I stopped saying, I don't have the time. And I started thinking, I'm not going to make the time for that. Now, if you say that out loud, you lose friends quickly. All right. If you're like, hey, you want to get together for breakfast? It's like, no, nah, I'm not going to make the time for that. You have no friends very quickly. But it was an important internal discipline for me to say that because it forced me to prioritize. Hey, I got the same amount of time you do today, but guess what? I'm using some of that time to record this episode. If I didn't think it was important, I wouldn't do it. And if it's not important, why are you doing it? The other thing I notice about time management, and again, I cover all this in the High Impact Leader course, uh, which will be available by the end of the year. Watch the blog, and if you're on the Orange Tour, you'll get an advanced copy of it, okay, is to manage your energy. Um, not all hours are created equal. I am a morning person. I produce far more in the morning. And so what I want to do is I want to do what I'm best at when I'm at my best. And so if I do my writing and my content creation in the morning, I'm a lot better. By the time I hit one o'clock, and by the way, the day I'm recording this, this is going to get close to like one or two o'clock when I'm done, uh, I get pretty tired. And so if I was recording this two hours from now, I wouldn't be as good. So I want to do what I'm best at when I'm at my best. So that's time management. Definitely, you you mentioned this. I write about this a lot, and I wrote about it in Lasting Impact, my last book, mixing up the mission with the method. Absolutely. You know, we become devoted to the method even over the mission. And I think as a church leader, I want to be radically devoted to the mission. So let me give you an example outside of church world. You know, the work that I do with you as leaders, the purpose is to help you lead like never before. Right now, that expresses itself through three primary ways. It expresses itself through writing a blog. It expresses itself through, uh, I guess it's four, writing books, doing this podcast, and then occasionally I do some speaking as well. Now, there may be a day where podcasts aren't effective anymore. See, it's just a method. The mission is to help you lead like never before. If the podcast isn't as good an option or it stops helping you lead, I should kill the podcast. Plain and simple. But sometimes we get so devoted to what we do. Oh, I love podcasting. Or, oh, do you remember when it used to get so many downloads? Or like, oh, people used to love it. Or, you know, it's effective for some people. It's good, but it's not great. If I find a better way of helping you lead like never before, I'll, I'll, I'll embrace it. I'll kill this thing. I mean, you have to be willing to give up the method so that you can preserve the mission. Ditto with your church. If you love your style of music, but it's not helping you reach people and accomplish your mission, change it. Change it. Uh, Last thing, third thing, uh, for hindrances in leadership today, it's the Pareto principle, plain and simple. And I talk about this again in the High Impact Leader uh, time management course coming out later this year. But the Pareto principle simply says that you get 80% of your results from 20% of your activity. So if you look at the top 20% of what you do, it produces 80% of your results. Uh, so for example, I learned in my own leadership that when I communicate well, when I'm rested and fired up about the vision, when I'm rallying people around a common cause, our church does the best. Now, reality is nobody ever asked me to do that. See, what happens to me is I have to make time to do all those things because people want different things from me. They want me to have coffee. They want me to come to their house. They want me to visit them. They want a meeting. They want to push their idea. And my entire week gets taken up with their priorities. And so what I decided a while ago was I was going to spend 80% of my time, try to spend 80% of my time doing what gets me 80% of my results. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, if you do that, if you actually make time on your calendar, you become a better leader, a better communicator. Your church goes further. I have extra time to do things like this. I mean, it's amazing what happens. So I would say reverse the Pareto principle. Spend 80% of the time doing the things that produce 80% of your results. And then I'm just going to tease you with this one. Spend 80% of the time you meet with people with the people Who produce 80% of your results because you're not doing that right now. You're actually meeting with the people who produce 20% of your results because you're meeting with all your problem people because you're like, well, this person didn't show up, so I got to go meet with them. And then all your meeting time is used up and all you've done is dealt with a problem person who's going to create, guess what, another problem next week. You need to release those problem people and call up your top producers and say, we're going to hang out because they never ask you to hang out. Anyway, I explain a lot more of that, and you'll hear a lot more of that later this fall. But wow. I mean, if you start to do that, that will that will blow your mind to see the kind of productivity you have. All right. We got a question from Jonathan.
3: Hey, Carrie, My name's Jonathan Crum, and I just got a question uh, regarding um, bivocational. I see a lot of research on how to grow a church, but there's not a lot of resources on how to strengthen and maintain and to keep momentum and overall mental health uh, when trying to plant or
0: pastor a church.
1: Jonathan, thanks so much for the question. Man, it is a journey, and I write about it a little bit in my last book, Lasting Impact. I wrote a whole chapter on creating healthy teams and being a healthy leader. I've also written quite a bit about it on my blog, but yeah, I burnt out. I was not healthy. So how do you do that? I think you need to really develop your self-awareness and I think you need to have people who can speak in to how you're doing. I had a check-in just recently, actually in the last week, where I sat down with my wife and my lead pastor and I said, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how healthy emotionally do you think I am these days? Like spiritually, emotionally, relationally, how healthy am I? And I got somewhere between a six and a nine on almost all cylinders. And that's good. But it tells me, okay, the six in certain areas, I've got to work on a little bit harder. The seven, eights, nines, hey, we are on this side of heaven. It's pretty healthy. There were seasons where I was a three or a four, and I didn't realize it. And I needed to get help. So I think when you have people who check in on you, it can be a lot better than if you don't have those people who can check in on you. So I would say what you want to do is you want to do more preventative work as well. Some of that is uh, resisting the temptation to be a workaholic. Some of that is you want to definitely make sure you work in the area of your strengths. Uh, I see leadership as a series of deposits and withdrawals. You want to make more relational deposits than you take withdrawals. You want to make more rest deposits than you take withdrawals. It's kind of like a bank account, right? If you end up taking more withdrawals than deposits, you go bankrupt. And in leadership, that happens. So if you have a really draining meeting, you know, you meet with someone who needed intense counseling or intense help. We all walk out of those meetings or a lot of us do drained and depleted. Well, your cup's empty. What are you going to do to fill it? I mean, doing an hour of email after that is not filling your cup. I mean, do you need to take some time off? Do you need to go to a coffee shop? Do you need to get together with a good friend who energizes you? I mean, what do you need to do to make sure that those accounts are short? And I think when you do that, you end up in a much better position. So definitely some outside people who can speak into you. uh, Relentlessly pursue self-awareness. That's really important. And then make sure that you are keeping short accounts and you're not overdrawn again and again. All right, we're going to go to our next question
3: question is, as we are working through as a church and, and uh, you know, love seven practices of effective ministry, I know you've mentioned it as well. We're talking about thinking uh, thinking steps, not programs, and where do we want to take people to? I've heard you talk about on the podcast, um, you know, there was a day where we wanted to get everybody in small groups, but oftentimes now we're finding a lot of people are finding community and serving teams and that sort of thing. Is there a place where you find yourself saying, man, we feel like uh, we're going to win with people? Um, Their ultimate place to grow, however you want to put it, um, is if they make it to this environment. They find themselves in community and and growing in this space, Um, whether that's a discipleship conversation, whether that's however you want to put that. So, yeah, I guess that's probably the gist of the question. My name is Phil Owen from Clio, Michigan. Love your blog podcasts uh plan on being at the uh, conference here at the end of april so thanks a lot carrie
1: Well, thanks so much for that question. Thanks for the encouragement and big shout out to Michigan. Love everybody in Michigan here uh, quite a bit from leaders who are in Michigan. And uh, also want to say Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, even though it's 12 years old, one of the best ministry books I've ever read. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favor. Andy Stanley, Reggie Joyner, Lane Jones, three incredible leaders. uh, Talk about how to Do Ministry More Effectively, it's a classic book, and I still use it on a regular basis. So yeah, I think you're hinting at a shift that I've started talking about a little bit, which is there was a day where we wanted everyone in small groups. Now, I think small groups are really important, but I am not 100% sure that they are the ultimate destination anymore. Uh, I've, I've said, and I'm not even sure I'm right on this, but these days I kind of think, all right, if I could only put person a person in one place, whether that's a small group or serving in the broader mission, I think I'd put them serving in the broader mission. Why? Because it's inherently outsider focused. Now you can disagree with that. You can, you know, write me angry emails. That's that's up to you. But I think I'm there, but I don't want to stop it there. So I want to kind of recast it. And I know in in the seven practices of effective ministry, the destination that North Point picked at the time was small groups. And I can't speak for them, so I'm just speaking for me. You know what? There are four things right now that I want people to get passionate about at our church. I want them to get passionate about serving in the wider ministry, whether that's in our church or, or somewhere else, serve in the kingdom. I want people to get passionate about inviting friends and to actually have unchurched friends they're building into and they're bringing with them to church. I want them to get passionate and excited about giving. And yes, I mean financially, because I think it does something for them. I think when you trust God with your money, you're finally trusting God. When you make an investment in the kingdom of God, it's an investment that honestly has implications into eternity. So I want people to give. And then finally, I want people to be in community and what i find is that people who do all four things are the healthiest and that people who do three of the four things are pretty healthy people who do two out of four things yeah not bad one out of four things not as healthy zero for four yeah they're just not engaged in the mission or the ministry so what i would want to see is how can you get more and more people committed to those four things you know because i think those four things and maybe there are other variants at your church are going to drive engagement and engagement in the mission is what is going to drive their passion and going to drive your mission forward. So that's where I would focus these days. And finally, we got one more question from Brent in Maryland.
0: Hey, Carrie, uh, This is Brent Brewer here in Maryland. I just want to know, how do you define a win when it comes to Monday morning? When you're looking back at Sunday, are there several characteristics that you look at and say, yeah, we won today? I'd really be interested to see what you had to say on that issue. Thanks.
1: Brent, thanks, man. And a shout out to Maryland. One of our favorite family vacations was in Maryland. We stayed in a house in Salisbury and drove 30 minutes to the coast and like just loved like the beaches there. Incredible. So thank you, Maryland, for that incredible memory. Um, so what's our win on a Sunday morning? It's pretty simple. It's this. Do people who came want to come back? That's it that's a win. Do they want to come back? If an unchurched person showed up for the first time, did enough happen in them, around them, to them, in the room that they're like, wow, that kind of blew my mind or it opened my heart and I want to come back? That's it. Because we know if they come back, I'm confident that at some point they'll meet Jesus. I'm confident that if we can create the kind of environment where people show up, and they want to invite their friends, and they want to come back, that a majority of them are going to have some kind of relationship with Jesus, spring out of that down the road. Now, is everybody going to have that reaction? No, we've talked about this in one episode before on Ask Carrie. I believe Jesus told the parable of the sower to preachers, so we didn't all get despondent, because, you know, 10 people show up, not everybody comes back. I get that. That's okay. That's all right. But I want on balance for unchurched people to come back and say we loved it. Now notice, this is unchurched people. It's not church people. It's not, not, did we like the music? Did we like the sermon? Did we find it met our needs? No, 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 no. This is about who we're trying to reach, not who we're trying to keep. So honestly, Brent, that's our win. That's our win. Well, hey, that wraps up a week of Ask Carrie. So this is the sixth episode that we've done. I know it's a lot of content. We've made these a little bit shorter. So on the way to work and back from work, you can finish them up entirely. But it's a way of just thanking you, the listener. Hopefully this has felt like thanks to you. I know you've got a lot of questions and literally I'm scrolling down my spreadsheet where we keep track of them. And my goodness, there are dozens more. So yeah, I got to get back behind the mic again in the next few months and and answer some more of your questions. You can leave questions anytime at kerrynewhoff.com. When you click on the little widget, it goes to a SpeakPipe voicemail account. Just leave it there. Uh, we listen to them all, answer as many as we can. And tomorrow we are back with a regular podcast. So my guest tomorrow is going to be Dan Ryland, who has spent three decades working with John Maxwell, one of the most brilliant people in ministry today. It is like drinking from a fire hose. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. Uh, Just It's free on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. That way these episodes load without you having to do anything. That's how I listen to all my podcasts is by subscription. And I got to tell you, it works fantastic. So anyway, thank you so much. Thanks again for the first two years. We got so much ahead that I'm so excited about. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. And we are back on schedule tomorrow with our regular Tuesday episode. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the
0: Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.